0: Climb into the cockpit with Pilot and Square's Chief Legal Officer, Tim Perilla, as he invites legal leaders aboard to share advice that will help you navigate even the most turbulent times of in-house counsel work. We'll cover a range of topics from data privacy to legal team structure to public company transactions and beyond. You don't want to miss this series. Fasten your seatbelt and prepare for takeoff. You're listening to Cockpit Counsel hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Cockpit Council. My name is Tim. I'm the Chief Legal Officer at Link Squares. And as always, we have our producer, Alyssa Verzino, here. Uh, today, our guest, Marie Whitmer, is the CEO and founder of Amplify Ops. Uh, welcome, Marie. Thank you. Uh, so, we start every episode the same way. Uh, what is your pre flight ritual?
1: I am a nervous flyer. Okay. So even though the video is the same every time, I usually look up articles and videos about turbulence and how the okay. planes like in jello. Yeah. To reassure myself that we're not going <laughs> to drop out of the sky. Yeah. Um, so yeah, okay. I'm just psych myself up. <laughs>
0: um, I actually I actually started flying because I was a nervous flyer.
1: Wow. I,
0: yeah, I had to. Uh, so it was my first job out of law school, and I started having to travel for for work and I was a pretty nervous flyer I was like I don't like feeling like this and so I started taking flight lessons and I'm like I'll take these until I'm not as afraid and sort of as soon as I turned the door from or walked through the door from that fear it became a really exciting fun thing so wow, I love uh, that. so yeah that's that's how I started uh, started flying though um, my wife, is actually uh, a very nervous flyer. And she always checks like the turbulence forecast and she asked me to do like a whole like like proper weather briefing for her throughout our entire route. It's actually kind of funny, so.
1: Yeah, I've, I've looked up the weather and I've not looked up the weather and it hasn't made a difference <laughs> so far. Uh, I What does help though is I really do like when the pilot comes on and at least tells you there's gonna be turbulence and gives you yeah. like a, hey, 10 minutes, it's gonna be really bad and then we'll be okay. and. Right. I hate the silent, silent pilots, you know, right. just like let you ride it out. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, uh, so let's talk a little bit about, about your company. Um, yeah. What, what do you all do it's- and what was your career path that led you to, uh, led you to found this company?
1: Yeah, so Amplify Ops is brand new. Um, We're going out for pre-seed funding. We're building, you know, working on our MVP um, and we are AI project management specifically focused on the legal tech implementation space. Cool. So we've noticed that there's just there's kind of a a railroad right now where tech and legal is growing, but the methods we use to implement it and the project management skills in legal are really not increasing. Um, and you can throw more people at the problem or you can try to find a way to make it more efficient and more automated. Um, so that's what we're focused on is making it so that every lawyer can instantly become an expert project manager Mm -hmm. and we can reduce that rate of failure for legal tech, um, unload some of that manual work and make it make sense for everybody. That's Uh, awesome. Yeah. <laughs> That's, and
0: and very much needed. It's um, you know it, it's it's a big part of in house practice in particular is under is is being able to manage a project effectively, um, work with your stakeholders, and being able to use technology to help you do that is is massive.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So what was your what was your career path to this point?
1: I started in litigation, personal injury, um, taking small firms in Georgia paperless, so case Mm -hmm. management systems, um, client intake, all that. Um, I knew that that was not where I wanted to be in terms of lifestyle after seeing the lawyers in that field.
0: Sure. Um,
1: So I decided the only way through was up and went to law school. I started working as a contracts manager in law school to pay that high San Francisco rent. Yeah. And that's where I got introduced to CLM. That was my very okay. first job. Was I had to implement a CLM, and that was where it clicked for me that that I wanted to do tech implementation more than I wanted to do law. So I finished law school and kept going with that.
0: That's well. I mean, that's that's smart. Like, the the race of practicing law is definitely uh, like in a more traditional law firm route is definitely not for a lot of people and. Yeah. I think a lot of people expect it to be different than what the reality actually is mm-hmm. so it was, it's good that you recognize that early and moved on
1: yeah i i low-key think i enjoy telling people how to do their jobs more than doing the job itself so. right, right. <laughs> <laughs> so
0: that's awesome so um what was there like any particular impetus where you're like I really want to focus on project management versus other aspects. Or did it start with the desire to to increase tech adoption? Sort of what angle did you get? Uh, did you come at this from?
1: It's really coming from a user frustration angle. So I've had a lot of heartbreak. I think related to tech implementations, I didn't gain any project management skills in law school or undergrad and then i was thrown into it and had to figure it out as i went while working on a team full of people who knew nothing about tech or project management or appreciated the complexity so having to manage all those stakeholders having to you know manually schedule calls track a project only to have it kind of go wrong halfway through because of some some unforeseen human element that i didn't anticipate right um just having gone through that multiple times, I think the frustration from that and realizing that if I get another job, I'm going to be repeating the same cycle again, and it's not going to get better. Right. That's where I kind of hit that wall, and and it occurred to me that instead of continuing to go in house and do that, I could try to just change the way it's being done.
0: Yeah, it's uh, it seems like it's with sort of the I don't I don't know if you call it a, a new focus on, but like the real emergence of legal operations i feel like that that project management side of it is uh, is really the heart of it at the end of the day
1: mm-hmm. all the other industries i think were already equipped for this they were already yeah. studying those skills in undergrad or getting business degrees or even engineers have to follow agile methodology mm-hmm. so they had that foundation that we don't and now you know with the rise of in-house counsel we're kind of forced to play all of the roles in a company, and and somehow upskill ourselves along the way, and become tech experts. Yeah. yeah, it's not fair. I think everyone needs help.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's there's an element, at least I've seen it throughout my career. Um, there's an element of expectations of the legal department changing. Right. I think the the expectations on a modern legal department today, and maybe this is. Maybe this is somewhat unique to tech companies. Maybe it's not. I don't know. I'm kind of in like a bit of a bubble, like with tech companies. Um, the executives just expect you, you and your legal team, to operate a lot more similarly to every, uh, mm-hmm. you know, to every other business unit.
1: Yeah.
0: Right. Then, then maybe perhaps, you know, historically it's like, oh well, they're there to help us with legal with legal issues and. Like they just run differently, right? And that sort of was the accepted way, and and a lot of teams ran that way. And now mm. I think I think it's just not acceptable in most organizations to actually run your your team in its own sort of side side of the business way.
1: Yeah, I I do appreciate that from like a growth perspective in the sense that there were a lot of in house teams that came in and. They brought in a a firm partner, became a GC, and he hired you know a team. He or she hired a team, right? And then they they kind of built it like a law firm within a company. And Mm -hmm. from a cultural and diversity perspective, I I think it's good we're we're pushing against that, but at the same time, you have to allow people the grace to like gain those skills because if you expect a legal team to all of a sudden understand how to work like an engineering team or a marketing team, that's not it's not fair.
0: Yeah, and I think you also have you have a challenge with uh getting people to change the way that they've been working right like any change for any i mean not just lawyers any change for most people particularly at work is a very very stressful thing and a very very difficult thing
1: yeah because it it ties into their security and their livelihood and their identity and their sense of worth and especially for lawyers because we are already ingrained through law school that we can't make mistakes or show weakness and it yeah. triggers all of the things that that uh, <laughs> that are hiding deep down inside of us.
0: Exactly, we're very
1: fragile, special creatures. <laughs> I was I was gonna say
0: most of us are are weaklings who make a ton of mistakes, <laughs>
1: <laughs> but don't tell anyone. <laughs> exactly,
0: exactly. We 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 try to keep a tough exterior. I think that's ninety percent of the job, mm-hmm. really. Yeah. So, um, so journey journey into entrepreneurship here. Uh, so how long how long have you been at it with Amplify? And, um, and what are some of the, what are some of the things that maybe you didn't expect to be encountering, uh, that, that you're now dealing with?
1: So, I mean, the the idea came around April and we've really just been, been trying to move as quickly as possible since then. And Mm -hmm. I've had to figure out everything from scratch. Right. So I did listen to some startup podcasts and I read all the wide combinator articles and videos I could get my hands on, but there's just some stuff that you have to figure out for yourself. Um, There's definitely just so many small things that you don't realize you can make a mistake. Like for example, I filed us as an LLC and then I realized in order to get funding, you have to incorporate. Um, It's just lessons along the way. The one thing I will say that I didn't expect is is that you make more progress by having phone calls with people than you do by just like sitting there and trying to figure things out and doing the hard work. So every time I get on a coffee chat or network or reach out to people, there's just always a big piece that gets unlocked. Yeah. Um, the information is out there. You just have to you have to go find it and talk to people.
0: Yeah. And how have you found sort of the ecosystem? People been, you know, really open to to talking, working with you.
1: Uh, yeah, I have not had anyone ever discourage me in this whole time. You know, I've, I've gotten to talk to almost every founder of a legal tech company, and they have been not only supportive, but you know they've offered mentorship, advice, templates, uh, connected me to VCs, like yeah. so generous with you know their their time and their experience.
0: That's awesome. That's that's great to hear. I think the legal tech space I've found it to be a very welcoming space and a very collegial space, uh, mm-hmm. even amongst competitors, and um, and I think it's because legal tech is is really an emerging an emerging area, and Sort of a rising tide, raises yeah. all the boats sort of thing. Like yeah. The more legal tech companies that we can have out there, I think the better it is for every legal tech company.
1: Yeah, we're, we're having to fight this cultural battle of legal being seen as a cost center and not getting budget for tech. And then mm-hmm. we also have to deal with the fact that legal tech is not considered enterprise tech yet. So right. there's just there's there's this we have to all kind of work together to to get to that point and get past those perceptions. Yeah,
0: absolutely. What uh, if you if you were to look forward into into let's just say the next six to twelve months? What is uh, what does success look like for Amplify?
1: Success would be getting our MVP off the ground, getting it out to you know all of the customers um, that we've you know already promised it to, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, delivering on our promises, seeing yeah. it come to life, um, and then as well securing those first key partnerships. Uh, We really want my goal is so this is a platform where the CSMs from a tech company and the consultants and the in-house teams can all work together. And my goal is, is that the data that comes out of that that platform that you get from tracking, you know, who's attending Zoom calls, who's logging into the tool and actually using it effectively, where are projects going right, where they're going wrong. I'm hoping that that shared data um, can feed the whole community. Right. So we can start to see some early data about. How longer are implementations taking on average like where are people falling off on roadmaps if someone right. comes to me you know a year from now and says that because of your project i was able to identify some blockers and move through it i would, I would die happy <laughs>
0: <laughs> how many uh how many folks are on the founding team there
1: it's just myself okay um and jonathan williams so okay it's just the two of us and and we are we're excited to 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 kick off
0: is jonathan based in atlanta as well
1: he is located in paris
0: oh okay all right how's the uh two questions how's the time change uh work out for for you two and uh how does august work out for you uh
1: everyone deserves vacation i i think i have a little envy though because it it is weird being an american and seeing how seriously my european friends take vacation When, when they're off they're off they're gone yeah, it's like I'll come back and be your friend in September.
0: <laughs> it was, I, so I I uh, I worked for a French gaming conglomerate for uh, for a few years, and um, and that was that was shocking, absolutely shocking to mm-hmm. me. So that, you know my first my first job out of school, never really interacted with anyone like internationally, you know. And the company, uh, the company that I was working for, got bought by that French gaming conglomerate, and um, yeah, it was definitely strange. Like yeah. sending emails to, you know, the the global GC there, like, hey, I know you wanted this, this, this. Nothing, nothing for <laughs> a month. <laughs> I'm like, okay, well, I guess this is just on hold for a month.
1: <laughs> like, so that's how it's gonna be. Yeah. It, it is. It's a nice way to kind of look at yourself, though, as a reflection. Like I think um, for for my European friends and with even with Jonathan, right, like I, I sometimes get antsy, like, oh, why didn't he respond to my message right away? And then I remember <laughs> I like, oh, <laughs> this might be a me problem.
0: <laughs> no, I, 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 I agree. I, I, I tend to uh, I tend to appreciate the the uh, dedication that a lot of the rest of the world has to their time off. Um, yeah. And, you know, to a certain extent, I, I admire it. I like, I, I don't, I don't know. Maybe it's cultural. I don't really operate that way. Like if I unplug, like truly unplug for more than like four or five days, I tend to get a little bored. And I'm like, all right. I just like, I, I like, I also really like my job.
1: Yeah. Like,
0: it's a lot. I I have a lot of fun doing this. I get to do this, get to have conversations with exactly. people like you. So, uh, so it's, it's a lot of fun. If I'm away from it too long, I'm just like, ah.
1: Right. And Gotta to me, it's just part of my phone, right? So, like, right. if I'm if I'm on TikTok or my emails there, so I might check my email every now and then. And I think as as long as you can get to the point where you don't you doing it out of desire and not pressure, it's good.
0: What I uh, what I ended up doing during the month of August uh, when I was at that company ended up working out really well, and I I'll still do this today. Is if I'm if I start to feel like stressed out or start to recognize I need, you know, I need some time away. I'll, um, I'll do like an entire week or an entire two weeks of only doing a couple hours a day, whether in the office or not is like just enough to keep the emails at bay so that I don't come back Mm -hmm. and like run into a brick wall of of, you know, 400 emails that you've got to run through.
1: That's smart. And I think it's, it's also a good it's it's a good tie to the fact that um, you you vacation doesn't fix burnout. It's right. the practices that you put in place, like in all the other days of the year that, that yeah. get you to a point where you could even enjoy a vacation. Because I, I know I've I was in that phase a while ago where I, where I thought going on a vacation would fix how I was feeling. And, and no, it, it doesn't. <laughs> you just spend the whole vacation like. <laughs> yeah.
0: So you were on a panel with Omar Spice earlier today talking about uh, diversity within the legal profession, legal ops profession. Um, can you talk a little bit about that?
1: It was an honor to get to be on a panel with Omar and it's a conversation I think he and I have had, um, on zoom calls before with each other. So it was, it was nice to get to air it out. But, um, I mean, there's just continuing, there's just a, there's a huge diversity issue in legal legal has been a closed industry for a long time. It's been one of those gate kept professions. Um, and so the barrier to entry is really high. And Mm -hmm. and the hazing continues to happen and and people, you know, that do make it through, then you get into a law firm and they they the associates are not treated fairly and people get washed out. And it just it has a a long spanning impact on us. Right. Even people that go in house. Yeah, I think in house is such a good example of this because people are now running to in house with the promise of a better culture. Yeah. But then they get in there and they're carrying all that trauma with them. So they're coming in with the burnout, with the the idea that if I suffered, the people that come after me have to suffer or, you know, not knowing how to set appropriate boundaries. And then they carry that in and they don't succeed in an in-house role because they don't fit the culture of the company. They don't know how to be a good manager they don't know how to get buy-in from people because they don't know how to be nice. Right. Um, (laughs) So I think that that's like, that's where it, that's to me is all diversity because you haven't allowed people to, to build the life that they want. You haven't allowed them to be their, their full selves to ask for their needs to be met. And then they, they try to leave and go somewhere else and they're not equipped for it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, and law firm culture is not historically a very positive culture. Mm -mm. Um, you know, it's it's interesting. It, I, I think about it a lot like a really high pressured sales floor. Um, you know, it's you bill your hours, you're out. Right. They sales floor, you make your sales or you're out and that's it. I don't care if you have to work 70 hours a week, 80 hours a week. That's not my problem. You need to bill your hours. Yeah. Right? Um, and
1: even on the personal injury side, you know, we took commission so I didn't have to deal as much with billable hours, but um, I processed car accident, motorcycle accident cases. So I had to go through police files and photos and medical records and saw a lot of things that, you know, and you just learn to, and and we were always taught that like, no matter how upset the client was to just kind of show us, you know, we had to be stoic, stoic. Yeah. And after a while that just kind of, it it weakens your ability to be able to empathize with people. So when I went in house, it did affect initially my ability to get along with people, my ability to stay in roles, because I just couldn't understand why people were coming and trying to be so <laughs> emotional.
0: Right. I was like,
1: just be quiet and do your job. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, like, All right. Marie's getting promoted. Yes. today. Ma- upper management loves that.
1: <laughs> and we didn't we didn't have sick leave. I yeah. didn't have HR in any of these firms. There was no boundaries. My, yeah. my call my phone was going off at one in the morning. Yeah. You know so it was, it was just like I could not fathom the idea of like this newfangled thing where you have like appropriate behavior in the workplace. <laughs> but. Well,
0: you know it's it's interesting. there's there's so much so much that legal teams can do and should do to make the legal team not an emergency center. And I think the best way to do that, is by increasing the frequency and the depth of your interaction with the business above mm-hmm. and beyond emergency tri- emergency yeah. level triage.
1: Yeah, and diversifying your hiring so bringing yeah. in people with different backgrounds, whether they have a UI UX background or an engineering background, or they started as an admin, mm-hmm. um, just just not fitting, trying to fit people into a box and and listening to all diverse perspectives. It all it all contributes towards improving the life that we want to have.
0: <laughs> exactly. And I, you know, I think another thing that, another thing that comes up with some frequency is the idea of like, oh, I wanna go in house because I wanna like slow down. And I think what a lot of people will find is that going in house doesn't, it, it's no. it's not a slow down type of situation in most organizations. It's a, you're just doing different work, Yeah. right?
1: You you really well yeah, and it, the imp- interesting part about in-house that no one prepares anyone for is that you could slow down if you take the time to standardize your work, build a legal front door, automate, like there's, there are proactive things you can do to break out of that emergency, you know, reactive cycle, yeah. um, but that's not a skill set most of us are are bestowed with.
0: Yeah, and I think, I you know, I talk, I talk with a lot of, a lot of in-house leaders and there's an aspect that maybe is realized but not very frequently articulated is that for your team to be a highly functioning team, you have to have consistency, Mm -hmm. right? And that's consistency in terms of process for how you're handling whatever is coming through your department, consistency in terms of communication, how you're managing that communication with the stakeholders, and consistency of quality of what you're actually delivering, right? And you look at every other every other function in the business. And they're specifically designed to have consistency and output, Mm -hmm. right. And every single one of them has tools, some technology to help promote that consistency. Mm -hmm. And I think the legal teams have been lacking that, like pretty, you know, pretty meaningfully. And it's almost like legal teams are like, why, you know, why can't I operate the way that these other business units operate? Well, you're not thinking about it the right way. You're just trying to, you know, spin plates. You're not building a machine that spins plates for you. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yeah. and, And until up until recently, right, the legal teams didn't necessarily have people on the team to build it or advocate for it or to dedicate the time to stopping the hamster wheel. And you know, building a rocket-powered one.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean that that takes us a little bit back, you know, a little bit back to, uh, I guess, what we're what we're supposed to talk about. <laughs> uh, you know, the legal ops best practices. Like, how have you seen legal ops change over the course of your career, and um, and how do you think it's going to continue to change?
1: Yeah, you know, so there has just been this evolution that's been going on for a long time about. The development of the legal ops role. And I think we are starting to see legal ops become more of a standalone function within the legal team that has its own autonomy, direct line reporting. The big thing that needs to change is that legal ops has to make decisions sometimes that don't favor legal because legal ops is operations. We're focused Mm -hmm. on how does the business run better? How does the business make more money? How do they operate more efficiently? That's not always going to align with the mindset or interests of the attorneys on your team sure um, so moving away from the beginning of my career legal ops was seen as a facilitator or an administrative role that was supposed to take some weight off um, some manual weight off the lawyers on the team make their life easier maybe draft up a couple of cute playbooks you know right. um, help with administrative intake be the friendly face of the legal team i think even a couple of years ago i sat on a podcast that like yeah. That exact thing. We're supposed to be the friendly face of the legal team. Yeah. Um, I think we're supposed to build a friendly face. Sure. Um, but I also think we're supposed to be the translator between the business requirements for all the other departments and then get, getting that back to legal and making sure legal gets on the same page with the rest of the business. And yeah. that doesn't always make us the most loved on the legal team. Sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. But yeah. that's the role we, we should be playing.
0: I think, I think that's exactly right. And, you know, I don't yeah. really... I don't really care too much if the lawyers in house don't like it. It's like, you know what? There's a lot of salespeople who don't like updating Salesforce every single time they make a
1: call. But, a call but they call. do it, yeah. But
0: they do it because guess what? It's a job, so you got to do it. Like lawyers, you know. I I think there's this like this false dream of like, oh, if I'm in house, I can just sit back and pontificate and tell the mm-hmm. business my, you know, my my earth shatteringly brilliant thoughts. On whatever the business is facing, and then I can, you know, clock out at three thirty in the afternoon, and and I don't know, go sailing yeah. or something like that. And I it's think
1: just there, there's a future where they could do that if they, if they just if they check the CLM in the morning and they they complete their <laughs> tasks, they can spend the rest of the day blowing hot air. That's at right. The rest of <laughs> us.
0: It's <laughs> exactly right. So, um, I mean, obviously you've been you've been around this space for for a good long while. Uh, what are some of the common challenges that you, that you see in?
1: I just think that there there's still a long way to go with legal operations cementing their role on the legal department and really defining truly what that means. And again, like I said, there's a hierarchy issue, right, Where we're still t- hearing talk about lawyers versus non-lawyers. Really? Some legal ops teams don't get to report to a GC. Sometimes they report to like a mid or junior level lawyer on the team, and then oh, that lawyer gosh. titles themselves legal operations ah, director. We don't have consistent JDs. We don't have job matrix. So we don't even know what what growth and promotion looks like in a legal ops role. Um, We don't have any standard courses. You know, privacy didn't used to be a big field
0: right now.
1: People have massive careers and there's chief privacy officers, but they had to build IAPP. They had to build certification programs. If we don't you know, if we don't move towards that direction, then we're not going to be able to kind of solidify who we are as an industry. Um, And I do think legal tech will become enterprise technology. I think Mm -hmm. that we're nearing the point where a CLM is going to be considered this to the same degree and necessity as Salesforce or Coupa or NetSuite. Yep. Um, And if you don't have it, then you're very obviously missing the mark.
0: (laughs) Right, right. Yeah, I think I I think that there's got to be some there's got to be some whether whether it's CLM or some other version of technology. Like, if you're just not a, like simply not a contract heavy organization, right? Um, Or, you know, you don't, the contracts are so standard that you just really, like you never negotiate. You know, I think about like a B2C, like insurance company or something like that, like probably a terrible example because insurance companies have all sorts of different types of contracts. But you think about just that like policy, that Mm -hmm. one policy document, like it's not like I'm negotiating my, Auto insurance policy. Yeah. you know what I mean. Yeah, um, but exactly.
1: Like we we've yeah. started to see the rise of um, like global NDA or one NDA, where we're we're starting to talk about the idea of legal design and yeah, just trusting each other and not over negotiating contracts. Uh, so I'd love to see that happen in the next couple of years.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think NDAs are good ones uh, for it, and I and honestly, I think um, you know I think that the uh, so in. In my most recent, uh, my most recent job for this, uh, we did a lot of advertising, right? Advertising placements, mm-hmm. and we used the IAB standard terms yeah. on a regular basis uh, for for media placement, and it was great. It was great. Like we had one provision in there that we that we would change in the little notes, and and it was massively helpful, just massively helpful. And you think about those high volume those high volume uh, contracts that organizations will enter into if you can standardize those cuz yeah. everyone kind of knows where you're going to end up anyway and you know you're maybe a couple of degrees left or right of center right exactly
1: like like for example why combinator has the safe agreement for fundraising yeah. that everyone's using you know investors and and startups alike it's why yeah. why aren't we if we can do that with with an investment yeah. why aren't we doing with an MSA or an SOW right. like that's yeah. $500, you know?
0: That's that's exactly right. And even, you know, even as you get, you know, uh, beyond the safe agreements, like most most early stage companies are using the MVCA docs mm-hmm. for, you know, for venture financing and um, at, at least has a starting point. And then you, again, you're like within one standard deviation of the mean and all those terms, at least every deal that I've ever seen <laughs> is, is like, Really, not that far away from from where you start there.
1: Yeah, so. I, I hope that with with AI coming in and AI playbooks, and things like that, um, that can suggest standardized terms. I just hope we're going to move closer to that in the near future.
0: Yeah, I, I I would hope so too. I I like the I like the perspective though of um, of like that legal tech adoption level being on par with a, with a sales force, with a NetSuite. And, and really, like, to a large extent, it'll force legal teams to change process, which I think is, is really what's missing. Like, If your legal team, if you're struggling to manage your legal team, you should probably take a step back and mm-hmm. think less about how do I get this work done faster and think more about do I have a process in place? And yeah. if I do, why is it not working?
1: The wild part for me is, is that legal sits at the beginning and end of every company process, whether they like it or not. So you can right. either, you can either write it down, memorialize it and take control of it and make it work for you. Or you can just continue to be kind of have it happen to you, right? Uh, it's just like with procurement, right? Like legal involved in that process. You can either advocate for your placement in the process, method of intake, when you get to approve or every time you're what going to battle to, to right. figure out when you're gonna review the contract versus procurement and go chase people who are going around you and trying to get an invoice paid by finance. So yep, um, then, ever- then you'll have plenty of time for, for naps and things that, like that.
0: Exactly, <laughs> then, then it's sailboats all afternoon. Yeah. <laughs> So I think we've got a couple of, a couple of questions uh, from the audience, Alyssa. What uh, what do we got?
1: Yeah, so we've got some rapid fire questions at the end. Um, but first, would you like to speak a bit about the importance of community in the legal ops profession? Um, talk about legal ops uncensored. Oh yeah, um, yeah. So I just recently started a legal ops community. That's um, it's kind of snuck away from me, and how fast it's grown. So I'm really blessed for that. Um, we've got 35 ambassadors. I think we're, we're 25 plus cities, eight plus countries in like two months. So that's awesome. God help us all. <laughs> <laughs> um, it really came from the fact that when I joined the legal ops community, I, I mean, so many wonderful people have mentored me, reached out to me, given me free re- resources. But I had to, you know, set those meetings one by one by one. Yeah. Um, I did go to Clock and look at their free resources, right? But it just wasn't as it just wasn't as easy or entry level as I needed it to be mm-hmm. as a newcomer to the, the community. And then as I started to get invited to the events, I did notice, you know, I was a contractor, I've been laid off twice. So I did, I noticed that like the minute you're out of a job, you get kicked out of communities. Um, so yeah. you lose your access to Slack channels, you don't get invited to conferences anymore. Um, and I really wanted to change that, right? Because we've, we've got people coming from admin roles, engineers all over the place who want to learn about legal ops and may want to transfer someday. Mm-hmm. But those associates or paralegals they are not getting invited to the events. Um, so really, this community is about just it's it's a free community and free events in every city so you don't have to travel. It's just open to everybody. So no gatekeeping. Um, we're going to crowdsource a lot of templates and knowledge and videos and vendors can send in educational videos as well for free. Um, Just really breaking down those barriers. And then ultimately, the goal, I think, as I kind of mentioned, is to build courses and try to get that out to law students faster. That's awesome. Because the sooner we cut this off, you know, the sooner we can break people out of the cycles that we all know that we're going through, Mm -hmm. um, I think the better.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's awesome.
1: Yeah. I want a whole like, I want a whole generation of new lawyers that are like, I already know what a CLM is.
0: (laughs) Right. Yeah, me too. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Love that. Um, a legal ops question for you. So do you have any frameworks or areas that you focus on when you're approaching success from the beginning? I think from the beginning is you You have to diagnose the whole department. Um, so obviously you go through the interview process and they tell you what they think they want, but then you need to go sit with all of the different teams in the company and look at what's really going on. So one of the first things I do is I go set a meeting with finance and I ask, how are your invoices being reviewed? How are they paid? How are people getting to you? that tells me how easy it is to get around legal. Mm -hmm. Um, How do you have a procurement department at all? And if you do, what's your threshold? Do Do you look at all the contracts? Do we have POs? Are we using the software? So that tells me whether I need to plan for an implementation, whether I need to work off of their existing process or if I can pull them in and build one myself and just kind of understand politically where legal sits in the org, right? So looking at marketing and sales um, assessing what the existing relationship is. Does the legal team have a website? Are they doing a good job branding themselves as, you know, a helpful partner or do they have a reputation of just kind of being a mystery to the rest of the company? And then from there, you can kind of figure out what your first priority is, whether it's branding, whether it's building a, you know, a front door or a CLM or a spend management program. Yeah. Great. Thank you. All right. Now for the rapid fire questions. What is your hot take on the legal ops field? Um, <laughs> the hot take is is I know a lot of us have established roles and I think we're doing a lot of work but we have so much work left to do. Um, we do not like I, like I said earlier, we don't have set job descriptions. We don't have set you know standards for how to succeed and go from an associate you know an analyst to a manager to a director. We don't have a certification program. A lot of people, most people are quitting jobs after a year or two because they're working for bosses who don't understand what they do. They don't have the support to figure out how to grow themselves. They don't have a community. Um, so I just, I, we have a lot of work to do. <laughs> All right. What's your number one tip for taking on new career challenges? Do it afraid is what my, one of my close friends and actually my mentor, Charlotte Smith and uh, Layla L. Garby said to me is if you're going to do it, do it afraid. And that's the approach I'm taking with everything. Um, I don't have any fear about getting fired or, you know, if I need money, I'll go work at a coffee shop. But just keep moving forward. That's awesome. Yeah. (laughs) Love it. All right. Last one. Any tricks for avoiding burnout? (laughs) Uh, We were were talking about this earlier, but... um, (laughs) <laughs> move, uh, move to France <laughs> yeah move to, move to france is one but also um I just let my phone I'm i'm terrible about charging my phone and I just let my phone die <laughs> I don't put my phone on the charger until it's like time to go to bed and I need to have an alarm in the morning yeah. um, but also like honestly between you and me i you never you'll never see me set an alarm in the morning like when I get up I get up and I deal with the consequences of it afterwards okay so <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's awesome <laughs>
1: between you and <laughs>
0: yes,
1: my dogs wake me up anyway so yeah. it's fine it's like 7 a.m the french bulldog starts screaming oh,
0: you have you have french bulldogs
1: <laughs> i have a yeah a frenchie awesome. named layla and she's she's quite a personality
0: that's awesome <laughs> that's, great. That was the that's hey. it yeah. that's it awesome thank you thank you so much for for joining us Marie. it was an awesome conversation love to have you back and um you know i'll be following closely what's going on thank with you, you all too and Anything that I can do or the rest of the team here can do to help you um, more than happy to do, you know, to do that. So
1: Thank you. It's been amazing to be here today. You guys are lovely. <laughs>
0: <laughs> all right. Thanks, everybody, for joining. And uh, if you liked what you heard, give us a like, give us a follow, subscribe on all the socials, and we'll see you next time.